Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 22, The Fall of the First Bulgarian Empire. Welcome back, everyone. Last time, we witnessed the brutal blinding of an entire army, the slow strangulation of what remained of the First Bulgarian Empire, and the death of Tsar Samuil from the stress and the horror of it all. His son, Gavril Radomir, will fight on. But while the wild oranges and reds streaking across the sky are not from his father's comet anymore, they're a sunset a slow and a violent one. Because in today's episode, it all finally comes to an end. Today we'll see the fall of the First Bulgarian Empire. It was now the spring of 1015. Basil is on the move again. During the winter, the powerful fortress city of Vodina and the modern Greek city of Edessa had switched its loyalty back to the Bulgarians after previously swearing loyalty to Basil. Now, he resolved to begin the year by retaking it. The siege was successful, and Basil, determined never to have to retake the city again, deported its previous military garrison to a far-flung colony and built two mighty castles designed to intimidate the populace into never daring to betray him a second time. Basil then turned to nearby Moglina, another powerful Bulgarian fortress city. Now, this city was defended by some of Gavril Radomir's closest allies and wouldn't surrender without a fight. The siege there dragged on such that Basil took control of the operations from two of his best generals, fed up with the delays. The city was only overtaken when a nearby river was actually diverted to undermine its walls. Then the entire population was deported to the Armenian border and the city burned to the ground. Clearly, Moglina had gone too far for Basil. Now, around this time, it seems that Gavril Radomir sent word that he was willing to actually work towards a peaceful settlement with the Byzantines. However, his overtures were immediately dismissed. Again, Basil simply saw no reason to stop his campaign just when victory seemed at hand. Indeed, victory seemed to be coming closer and closer by this time. In August 1015, the Byzantine emperor received word that Gavril Radomir had been murdered by none other than his cousin, Prince Ivan Vladislav, while the two had been hunting near the town of Ostrovo. Now, you'll remember way back in episode 19 that Ivan Vladislav was the son of Samuil's older brother, Aaron. Aaron and all of his sons had been killed by Samuil when he discovered that they were plotting against him. <coughs> Ivan Vladislav had been spared only at Gavril Radomir's personal urging. Now, Ivan killed the man who spared his life, his own cousin. Gavril Radomir had been Tsar for less than a year. Why then? Why did he kill his cousin, this man who spared his life? It's hard to say. I mean, we don't really know anything about what Ivan Vladislav was doing in the decades between his life being spared and him killing the Tsar. 
Now, it may have been simple revenge for killing his father and his siblings. It may have been a grasp at power. Perhaps he believed truly that he was better suited to lead Bulgaria at this critical moment, and that his coming to power could maybe bring peace with the Byzantines. Maybe it was all three. The Chronicles of the Priests of Dukla, which I've mentioned previously was written in the Adriatic city of Bar, claimed that Basil was in fact behind the murder, saying, quote, quote, Fearing the loss of his empire, the Emperor Basil secretly sent ambassadors to Vladislav, Radimir's cousin, who asked, Why do you not avenge the blood of your father? Take our gold and silver, as much as you desire, to beat peace with us, to take Samuel's kingdom because he killed your father, his own brother. If you get the upper hand, kill his son Radomir, who now rules the kingdom. Vladislav consented to these words, and on the appointed day while Radomir was out hunting, he rode out with him and struck him dead. In this way, Radomir died, while Vladislav, his murderer, ruled in his stead. End quote. Now, the strange thing about this account is the reason given for Basil's move against Gavril Radomir. There's really no reason to believe that Basil feared the loss of his empire, but besides that, it's plausible that Basil instigated the murder. But in any case, immediately following Ivan Vladislav's seizure of power, the new Tsar sent word to Basil that he was willing to swear loyalty in exchange for peace. However, word had come to the Byzantines that this was in fact a ruse, that Ivan Vladislav was gathering his forces in the mountains and preparing to continue the fight. So, the peace overtures were ignored, and things resumed as if nothing had really changed. But the death of Gavril Radomir did in fact have an impact on the internal situation for Bulgaria. Obviously, many had little faith in Samuel before his death, and even fewer in his son Gavril Radomir. But this regicide had further reinforced the idea that it was now everyone for themselves. It further eroded any idea any faith in the idea of Bulgaria or the state's survival. And so Basil quickly exploited the situation. Once he discovered Ivan Vladislav had no intention to surrender, he paid a high-ranking Bulgarian official named Theodore to assassinate the new Tsar. However, the man Theodore paid to commit the deed, in fact, killed Theodore himself, and the plot was foiled. That's, I guess, what happens when you hire subcontractors for assassinations. Now, at the same time, Ivan Vladislav was rallying what remained of Bulgaria's forces to his side. <clears throat> he called Jovan Vladimir, who you'll remember from episode 20, had once been the ruler of Duklia, and had been defeated by Samuel, but then married, managed to marry Samuel's daughter, or possibly sister, Kosara. Vladimir was willing to go meet Ivan Vladislav and his wife, having none of it. Frightened of her husband's life, she actually went instead, so... She said, you know, no, 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 husband, don't go meet this guy. He likes killing people. I'll meet him instead. So she goes to meet him. And once the Bulgarian patriarch guaranteed that no harm would come to Jovan Vladimir, he came to the capital, only to be beheaded immediately upon arriving. His grief-stricken wife retired to a convent near Lake Scutari to be near his grave. Really, it seemed there was no end to the tragedies of the house of the Komitopoli. And so the war continued. By the fall of 1015, Basil had made further progress in his slow move towards Ohrid. Each city to fall meant he advanced a little bit further. He was now coming closer to the Bulgarian capital. 
and on the way, he laid waste to Ostrovo, Soskon, and the entire region around the Pelagonian Plain. Basil was now blinding all the Bulgarians he captured as the brutality of the Byzantine-Bulgarian wars continued to build to a crescendo. Soon, the Byzantine army reached Ohrid and burned nearly all of it to the ground. Only the citadel managed to hold, its inhabitants forced to watch as the beautiful lakeside town with its imperial palace was reduced to ash. Basil's plan was to keep moving all the way to Dyrrhachium in the Adriatic coast, but news from his rear changed everything. In the Battle of Bitula, a Byzantine army had been ambushed by the Bulgarian commander Ivats and completely destroyed. Important as it was, however, this victory for the Bulgarians only managed to force Basil back to Thessalonica for the winter. The battle happened in the fall, so there was no time for him to really react. As the army retreated, the Bulgarians just didn't have enough strength to engage them and had to just watch them get away. Still, they did manage to retake what remained of Ohrid in the aftermath of it all. So as the winter set in and Basil returned to Constantinople, Ivan Vladislav and his armies set about rebuilding fortresses and preparing for yet another year of brutal assaults by the Byzantines. One such fortress was at Bitola. In the 1950s, actually, when an Ottoman mosque was being demolished, an inscription believed to have made during, been made during that very, very winter was discovered in Bitola. It said the following. <clears throat> in the year 1015-1016, we're not sure exactly, since the creation of the world, this fortress, built and made by Ivan, Tsar of Bulgaria, was renewed with the help of the prayers of our most holy lady, and through the intercession of her twelve supreme apostles. The fortress was built as a haven and for the salvation of the lives of the Bulgarians. The work on the fortress of Bitula commenced on the 20th day of October and ended on the... It's unreadable here. This Tsar was Bulgarian by birth, grandson of the pious Nikola in Ripsimia, son of Aaron, who was brother of Samuel, Tsar of Bulgaria, the two who routed the Greek army of Emperor Basil II at Stipone, where gold was taken, unreadable, and in, unreadable, this Tsar was defeated by Emperor Basil in 6522, meaning 1014, since the creation of the world in Kluch, and died at the end of the summer, end quote. Now, a quick kind of funny story here. <clears throat> in 2006, the French consulate in Bitula used a picture of that inscription for a tourist campaign. Now, the problem, of course, was that the inscription clearly talks about Bulgaria and Bulgarians, causing quite a controversy in the Macedonian government, which claims that the state we're talking about right now was a Macedonian empire and not a Bulgarian one. Yeah, they were pretty upset about this. So it was more than a little bit awkward. So anyways, as the spring of 1016 came, the emperor and his armies returned like clockwork. But this year would not see any real advances for Basil. He started his campaign against the fortress of Pernik, still commanded by the legendary commander Krakra. 88 days later, with no apparent progress, Basil actually had to retreat back to Mosheniopolis to lick his wounds and recover. So now Bulgaria actually had a little bit of breathing room thanks to Krakra. Ivan Vladislav used that time to send Krakra to seek the help of the Pechenegs, 
to mount a large assault on the region between the Balkan Mountains and the Danube, the area which had once been the heart of the Bulgarian state. By this time, it had been many years since the Bulgarians had really taken the offensive, and the plan really had potential. So, the year 1016 kind of wasted away without much happening. Everyone continued their preparations for the resumption of the war when the snows melted, and in spring 1017, Basil set off with some new Russian allies. The season began with him sending two commanders to cause havoc around the upper Vardar River and capture and burn the fortress at Longos before moving on to the fortress at Castoria. By now, you've certainly gotten the impression of just how difficult it really was to dislodge the Bulgarians from Macedonia. The region is so crisscrossed with mountains and fortresses that it can only really be tamed by slowly taking each fortress and holding it. You can imagine Basil's frustration at this point. That with the Bulgarian armies waiting in the mountains and hidden valleys, waiting for the moment to strike, always denying the Byzantines a pitched battle, he just had no other path towards victory than this slow slog. <clears throat> Still, Basil was almost there. While laying siege to Castoria, he received word from the commander of Dorostolon, modern Silistra on the Danube, that the Pechenegs were coming to assist the Bulgarians. So he quickly retreated back to meet this new threat. However, within a short time, he learned that the Pechenegs had changed their mind, with the knowledge that their approach was now anticipated by the Byzantines and the emperor was coming to meet them. And just like that, Ivan Vladislav's last big gamble failed. It was now the fall of 1017. Basil turned around and now attacked the fortress of Satina, determined to make more progress before winter set in. You can imagine by now he's probably very, very impatient to get this over with. At this point, Ivan Vladislav appears to have been feeling more aggressive than usual, or perhaps more desperate, and actually attempted to attack the Byzantine forces. He managed to ambush and surround a Byzantine detachment. But what we're told is that the 60-year emperor himself actually came to the rescue, riding in front of his forces as they charged the Bulgarians, causing them to retreat. Now, frankly, I think it's a little absurd to imagine a 60-year-old emperor himself leading a charge, but in any case, the small battle of Satina was a Byzantine victory. Still, the description of the events by the Byzantine historian John Siclitus is worth repeating. Quote, This, meaning the fortress of Satina, he ordered the army to pillage. All that remained he consigned to the flames. Then he set the Kolai out of the west out against John, meaning Ivan Vladislav, who was lying not too far away, and the unit of Thessalonica and Constantine Diogonis in the command. But John set an ambush for them as they marched along. When the emperor learned of this, he leapt into the saddle and galloped off with no other words but, let every true warrior follow me. When John's spies got wind of this, they came to John's encampment in great fear and filled it with anxiety and distress, shouting nothing else but, look out the emperor. They all beat a disorderly retreat together with John, Diogenes taking fresh courage and following in pursuit. They killed many and took prisoners 200 soldiers with all their arms and with their horses, plus all the equipment of John and his nephew too, who was promptly deprived of his eyes. End quote. <clears throat> following this victory, winter set in and the emperor slowly retreated back to Constantinople. Yet another year had passed, and somehow Bulgaria lived on, but for how much longer? Well, 
Ivan Vladislav wasn't going to wait to find out. During the winter, he attacked Derechium on the Adriatic, determined to make some progress while the pressure was off. And the Tsar was killed during the siege. Accounts of his death differ. The chronicles of the priests of Duklia claimed that it was the ghost of Jovan Vladimir, his cousin-in-law, who he had so brutally killed. John Cyclitas claimed that during a duel with the Byzantine commander of the city, two Byzantine infantry soldiers came out of the audience and mortally stabbed the Tsar in the stomach. Obviously, the latter is more probable for those who don't believe in ghosts. But in any case, the new, new, new Tsar was dead. So, Ivan Vladislav had ruled Bulgaria for two years and five months, his predecessor for only ten months, and now his eldest son, Presian, became Tsar Presian II, but was only about 21 years old and certainly in no position to put up serious resistance to the Byzantine war machine. And so, the writing was on the wall. Commanders began surrendering to Basil, knowing that he would bestow them with honors and bring them into the Byzantine aristocracy. Even the mighty Krakras surrendered the as-yet-unconquered fortress of Bernik without a fight. Basil moved through what remained of Bulgarian lands, accepting surrenders and squashing what resistance was left. The other great Bulgarian commander, Ivats, was captured and blinded because he had refused to surrender. So, while Presian II, the new Tsar, initially fled to the mountains to continue his resistance, it soon became apparent that it was futile. He surrendered, and also became a Byzantine nobleman, his family even becoming quite prominent in the Byzantine world over the coming generations. The Arab historian Yahya described it as follows, quote, The emperor returned to Constantinople. He married Roman sons to Bulgarian daughters, and Bulgarian sons to Roman daughters. In uniting one with the other, he brought an end to the ancient animosity which had existed between them. End quote. Now, some resistance continued in the more distant mountain reaches in the north, but by 1019, there was not a single holdout left. The first Bulgarian Empire was gone. 337 years had passed since Asparuch and his proto-Bulgarian horsemen had swept down from the steppe to build their new state along the Danube. In that time, an alphabet had been created, a people forged from the Slavs and Proto-Bulgarians, and a culture created. Those things would live on, but they would never be the same. I'll let Runciman describe the moment. Quote, The Emperor Basil saw his life work finished. All his reign, for more than 40 years, he had striven to destroy the empire of the Bulgarians. At last it was done, and he would be famous through the coming ages as Bulgakroktonis, the Bulgaria Slayer. What happened? Bulgaria had come close to utter destruction, but it always managed to pull through. Why not this time? Perhaps the greatest reason actually lay in geopolitics. The Byzantine Empire was lucky enough to be experiencing a remarkably peaceful period on its eastern front, allowing it to throw its full resources against Bulgaria year after year after year. To the north, the Rus had converted to Christianity and were just too busy fighting the Pechenegs to cause either much trouble. It was a perfect situation which allowed for pressure to be applied until the Bulgarians broke. It was not a war won by brilliant strategy, but by attrition and tenacity. Now, I'm going to have to leave things there. In the next episode, I'm going to look back on the legacy of the First Bulgarian Empire 
and recap all the things that have happened since our story began. But importantly, the story is also going to continue. I'm not, I'm not going to pick up at the Second Bulgarian Empire, though. I'm going to try to cover the major events which affected Bulgarian lands until this new state was born. And also, apologies for the really long delay here. I actually recorded this episode way back in mid-January before I had to go to Kenya to work for a month. But a stolen phone with a file on it meant that all the data was lost and I had to wait until I got back and got over a cold to actually re-record the episode. So thanks very much for being patient. Also, if you get this in time, I'm actually being interviewed on a new Bulgarian online TV station called BIT on Thursday, March 3rd at 3.50 Sofia time. So if you get this in time, check it out live or just go to their website. I'll probably post it on the Facebook page and everything and you can check out the interview. This episode was produced by Lance Nelson. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. And the story is written by me, Eric Halsey. Be sure to like us on Facebook, leave us a review on iTunes, and all that good stuff. You can listen to us directly on SoundCloud, and of course I'll always donate with the PayPal button on the website. If you'd like to hear more about Bulgaria today, check out the Bulgarian Now podcast, created by the aforementioned Lance Nelson. You can, as always, hear me give an excellent audio tour of Sofia and discuss living in the city today. Lastly, there's also a three-part series on the history of Bonsko in the premium version of the Bonsko app, also made by Lance Nelson, so check that out in the App Store. Give it a listen. In the meantime, uspech, or in English, good luck. <laughs>